Fire. Fireside Chats. This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Welcome, campers, to this week's Fireside Chat. This week, we are graced with the presence of a dear friend of the show and one of our absolute favorite authors in this space. Joshua Cutchin has established himself as a true force in the world of speculative nonfiction. I mean, titles like Trojan Feast, Where the Footprints End, Ecology of Souls. He has made an impact on the 14 community like few others in the last 20 years. But he has stepped out of the nonfiction category for his first fictional novel, titled Them Old Ways Never Died. It, I mean, it is fantastic. Go and read it. It's, it's brilliant. If you love fiction, you'll love it. If you love Fortean stuff... There are so many Easter eggs that it just carries you straight through the book. So, of course, in the interview, we talk a lot about the book. But whenever we sit down with Josh, there's no resisting the urge for a true and thorough exchange of ideas. So we talk about the relationship between recovery and the paranormal. We talk about UFO disclosure. And I do my very best to get a straight answer about where he's headed next. I'll leave it up to you to decide how successful I was. Josh is a wildly intelligent and endlessly curious guy. We consider every chance that we get to chat with him to be a true honor. Go and support him in everything that he does. Links are in the show notes. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this fireside chat with Joshua Cutchin. All right, Joshua Cutchin. Welcome back to the show. It's great to be here. Uh, I, I'm always surprised at how warm and energetic the pre-show talk is, and uh, <laughs> you brought me back from the brink of sleep. So thank you. I really appreciate yeah. that, man. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm honored. I, yeah, I. That's one of my favorite parts of this is just having having a nice warm chat before we get started. Yeah, it's it's you know. It's so hard sometimes I've done these where you come in and you just hit the ground running and it's nice to have a little bit of a warm up. The only problem is that, you know, I don't necessarily feel this way about this, this particular instance, but sometimes like the best, the best things, the best insights are in that pre-show chat. Yeah. And like, Oh man, we should have, we should have hit the record button early, but we, we avoided talking about all the spooky stuff. So yeah. I think that we've saved up all the good bits. For everything. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. No, there's honestly doing other people's shows. Nothing kind of nothing kind of breaks my momentum more than when we're chatting before the show and they go, No, 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 stop. Wait, save that for the show. And I'm like, I just <laughs> want to talk true. to you, man. Yeah. We're just two people, you know what I mean? Yeah, I've been guilty of that too though. So yeah. But anyway, um I uh so, yes, I'm just I'm just excited to be here, you know. Uh you you're one of the few folks that I will break my ten PM recording time rules. <laughs> so I it's a rare that. club. It's a rare club. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. I'm okay, so obviously most of us know you from your, you know, comparative folklore, nonfiction sort of um books, right? And you you kind of broke away from that and it's it's fiction this time around. 
right? It is. It is for for better or worse. Uh, it, that's <laughs> what it ended up being. You know, it's kind of funny. Um, the reaction from my non weirdo friends and family, and I, I use weirdo not pejoratively, but like oh, in yeah. terms of just like in, affectionately, right? Absolutely. But from my non weirdo friends and family, you'd think that it was the first book that I'd ever written. Honestly, <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, you wrote a real book, like you wrote something that I could read at the beach. Oh, well, right. this is this is that's a horse of a different color. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's it's been kind of interesting to to see that reaction come out, but it's also it. It's something that I just wanted to try to do, um, but I hadn't done for the longest time because I wasn't sure I could do something to, to my own um, to my own set of parameters, to my own goals, to my own you know. I, I just standards. I wanted to do standards. That's the word. That's yeah. the word I'm looking for. Because um, man, I tell you what, there's a lot of just this might sound negative, but there's a lot of just bad fiction out there. I mean, absolutely. As as as. as bad as ufo books can be yep (laughs) um uh there's 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 just a lot of like quick money grabs and um just half-hearted dreck uh that's out there um i think most people would be shocked how many well-known mainstream authors there are who who under pseudonyms Mm-hmm. release just dozens and dozens of these first draft 180 page books that go straight to Amazon yep. and it's just all SEO to get people to you know buy it for $4.99 and, yep. and a lot of these mainstream authors make most of their money doing that yeah it's it's, it's own cottage industry it's kind of like that, um, that old filmmaking uh, trope that you hear about filmmakers and directors doing it's that one for them one for me yeah. sort of thing so it's kind of yep. like well I'll just do this for everybody else and this will pay the bills and i'll actually get to write something that i actually care about on the side well yeah so so i i regardless of whether or not i met those standards because it's hard to talk in these terms without sure. sort of placing your own work on a pedestal so that's not my intention but for my own purposes i did something that i i feel personally proud of and that that's what all my books have been at the end of the day is yeah. I've written them for me and I'm just incredibly blessed and grateful that other people have come along for the trip. Um, so I was really hesitant for the longest time to, to do this. And, you know, I'd have, I'd have, again, those same friends and family who aren't reading my, my uh, speculative nonfiction saying things sure. like, Oh, you should write a book about this or that or the other, always in these fiction scenarios. And like, yeah, I know, that's a great idea. I'll put that in the, you know, my back pocket, but mm-hmm. I just don't know if I can do this to, to the level that I want to do. Um, and uh, so I, it kind of hit me like a, a bolt out of the blue. Um, and it felt like a pretty good place to do it because I... So flashback to like July, July of 2022, I just released Ecology of Souls and um, I had no intentions of starting anything else yeah. <laughs> after that. I mean, it's just such a big work. And I think maybe we discussed this last time, but I, I really felt like I could sort of walk away from this whole field. Yeah. Not not in terms of a bitter way, but just in terms of like, this is a snapshot of, of how I think about this stuff now, and I don't really know what else I have to say. Yeah, I know when you were on last time, you mentioned like that you were at least going to take some time. Yeah, I said that. Right. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Famous last words. <laughs> yeah, because um, right now I've got two other projects on the on the back, not on the back burner, like I'm, I'm juggling yeah, yeah. plates over here. But, um, well, I'm happy to hear that, personally. Yeah, Maybe yeah. it's well, selfish, yeah. but I'm, I'm glad you've continued to continue to work. Yeah, well, that, I, I kind of had to build up 
my interest in, in going back to researching and footnotes and like that sort of scholarly approach because I was just yeah. tapped out. I was just tapped out after Ecology of Souls. So I mean, that makes so much sense to me. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's 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 yeah. a it's not a short not a short book. Ecology. I mean, it's um, not it, it's not even just the length, but the depth of that book is. Right. I mean. I have to assume that that was a taxing experience, like emotionally, physically, all around. It, yeah. it had to have been. Right? Well, you know, it, it ended up being. I mean, it's not as personal as as the novel has been, um, but it but it was it was by far the most personal sort of nonfiction book that I've I've done. You know, I think we talked about this last time. How there's kind of like another book between the lines of ecology of souls where I'm wrestling with the implications of this for my own spiritual journey and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it was, it was taxing in that regard and it was just, it was a lot of, it was a lot of hours and just, just trying to wrap my head around the dadgum outline. Yeah. Um, and where to put all things and all the things in this giant jigsaw puzzle, then making sure you get the references right. And you know, the formatting process and just having to look at that, book so many times because that's that's one of the worst things about writing long books like I've fallen into this habit of doing is that by the time I review a layout once for typos or for formatting errors or whatever if I had written a shorter book I could have done it four or five times you yeah. know so it's just the amount of time that you have to sink into a project like that is, is taxing and you kind of um, you know I, I kind of end up turning my my wife into a book widow um, sure. <laughs> for that period so yeah I was just burnt out and I was just kind of, but I was also kind of like you know what would I do after this and, and as I've kind of tried a little bit to do um, throughout my writing I, I decided to zig when everybody thought I would zag but that didn't really come to me until like December-ish of, of 2022 and it kind of felt like a calling like this sort of germ of an idea came into my head um, and like so many people, I, I wanted to write something that I would read, but also something that was something that I would like to see, you know, in, in a film or in fiction. And you just don't have a lot of, which is, you know, spoiler warning here, but, um, you know, a, a really faithful, modern folk horror approach to fairy folklore. Um, yeah which you just, you just don't get at all. You know, (laughs) people might pay lip service to, to, you know, Oh, the antagonists of this particular narrative are are the fairies, but they, they really do this cafeteria style picking and choosing of, of the, what folklore they choose to honor. And I was like, well, let's do something that really is sort of faithful to that. Um, I think it takes a a background like yours, which is a very specific background (laughs) to really, to have, you know, the knowledge on tap sort of to approach a fiction in that way, that, you know, th- that's sort of the irony because it's it's you know it's about fairies and the protagonist is a musician who is struggling with alcoholism in North Georgia. So it's like okay, well, just write, you know, write about things that you know about. That's that's pretty on so the nose. slightly more personal than Ecology of Souls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, um, and, and you know, and, and really vulnerable in, in a way. Sure, something like Ecology of Souls isn't because you know all the decisions to some degree. I would argue that they aren't. We can get into that a li- in a little bit in terms of sort of the. Uh, the inspirational component to this, but at the end of the day, like a very clear argument can be made that these are all my decisions, right? Sure. It's not like I can point to a footnote and say, Hey, that person said it. I don't know. You know, you know, I can't wash my hands of it in the same way, but, um, yeah. So anyway, so yeah, uh, I, I had this sort of idea that took root in the back of my head and I distinctly remember, um, 
uh, driving down 75 uh, for Christmas and like having to tell my wife things to text me from the passenger seat so that I wouldn't forget them because my mind was just like writing out a lot of the beats and things that I wanted to include and it was just sort of this manic but it it kind of felt like and this is what I was alluding to earlier kind of had that downloadish quality and yeah that's a bit weird and pretentious but it's not something that you don't see in in fiction and that's another reason that I decided to do this is because like a good little um quasi union i used to say things like you know people don't have ideas ideas have people but i'd never really experienced that sure and i have enough friends who are creative types but you know especially authors too of of fiction who will say things like yeah you know i tried to make my character do this or that and they wouldn't let me i'm like what what do you mean by that No, I and know that feeling. Yeah, well, it's, yeah. it's just yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you would, yeah, and it's 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 one of those things. That, like, I think we gloss over as being not supernatural, but it kind of yeah. I think that our ancestors would have recognized something like that as being contact from from the other, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, uh, and so I wanted to experience that, and because like I, I go out on these investigations, and everything's dead as a doornail. Um, <laughs> I've gone on two in the last year, and it's just like the people there are like, "Well, it was really, it was really active the other night. You should have been here." And I'm like, "Yeah, I know. I get it. It wouldn't have been um, if I had been." <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's because I wasn't here. Um, I wanted to have that sort of experience on tap a little bit, and uh, I got it. I did get it. Um, and uh, the most uncanny thing for me was, you know, how I would stress over a character-driven solution to a story beat or an issue or a problem. And all day I would just sort of think on it and just have it running in the background in my head. And it wouldn't really come to me until that cusp between sleeping and wakefulness. Sure. Every time, like it kind of, it really became quite obnoxious because I just couldn't fall asleep. I had to keep a piece, a, a piece of paper and a pen by the nightstand. And like, I don't, I have issues wrestling with sleep anyway, and so it was like, man, I just need to go to sleep, but this is too good, because if you don't write it down in that state, it's probably going, yeah, it's it's gone. Sorry, realizing that you write fiction, I I probably sound like I'm just sort of preaching to the choir on a lot of No, it's it's all right. I mean, I think you're describing a thing that someone more dramatically minded might call channeling, right? Absolutely. I mean, to to the extent that um, I had to do... I didn't have a ton of rewrites on this. I mean, I don't want to make it sound like it was a first draft because I sure. went back and, and tweaked a bunch of stuff. But in terms of substantial rewrites, there was really only one chapter that uh, Barbara Fisher, who served as my editor on this project again, um, really suggested I needed to fix. She's like, this this just isn't right. You know, yeah. It's not... The way that you write these characters before and after, like, this chapter sticks out like a sore thumb. And I remember, like, rewriting that section and moving some stuff around. And the sense wasn't oh, I'm rewriting this, and now I'm getting it right this time. It was like, oh, no, the transmission was, was garbled right. the first time. I misunderstood like it, the first time. It really yeah. feels that way, and it's it's hard to describe to someone who hasn't been through that. Um, yeah. But it really it really did have that quality for me. Um, so, yeah, I uh, <laughs> it, was, it was pretty trippy. Um, and while I didn't have that um, John Constantine, Alan Moore moment... Um, I did. I've, I've kept a lookout for her because there's a character in the book who um, is a pharmacist, and uh, I pulled up to get a prescription one day from my local pharmacy, 
and standing there in, in the drive-through window was a lady who looked quite a bit like my character. And I've been to the, I was just at that same pharmacy today and I haven't seen her working there. So I'm kind of starting to wonder, but I don't know how to ask the staff, you know, um, but you know, Is this woman was, real. Yeah. I mean, it really didn't have that quality. I'm like, Oh, you're, you're, you're Bora. Okay. Uh, it was yeah. kind of odd. And, and what part of what that, that particular lady, assuming that she was a, a real human being um, <laughs> in the pharmacy drive through was wearing, made it into the book as sort of a little homage to that moment. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really just, you know, just as I imagined her. So, you know, and I don't have to know if it was sure. something strange or not. It can just sort of be in my own head canon that, yeah. <laughs> that it was, that it was that sort of <laughs> Tulpa esque moment. Um, so yeah, it was it was an incredibly rewarding experience. I wanted to the other thing that I really wanted to do, and I'm, I know I'm rambling, so oh you're fine. Interject at any point, please. But, um, the other thing I really wanted to do is I wanted to do, I wanted to write something where okay, we cats out of the bag in this interview, right? Fairies, right? Yeah, I wanted to write a spooky fairy book, but I didn't want the fairies to be the actual antagonist. You know, I I think um like his movies or don't like his movies, I, I tend to, to like them. Um, Jordan Peele's movies are not really about, you know, mind swapping or right. about doppelgangers or about a giant sky critter. Um, yeah. Like, yeah, that's, that's the, the thing that the, that the protagonist is trying to, to get through, but like the actual monsters in those movies are things that you run into every day, like, yeah. like white supremacy and, and yeah. get out and things like that. So yeah, it's social commentary. Yeah. Social commentary. Yeah. And also, um, you know, commenting on the human condition and, and sure. things like that. Um, so I wanted to have something that was, had a little bit more, you know, going on, um, to use a car analogy going on underneath the hood. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I didn't really know, I didn't really have a good, um, really have a good plan of attack for that until it did come to me and I'm like oh no this is this is what it should be about and so uh, I, I feel like it satisfied that um, issue of mine where you know, can you can also extend the the central antagonist out as a metaphor for other things that are going on in the protagonist's life so yeah. um I'm really happy it's done I don't know <laughs> I, I put it together quickly I had a project um I've spoken about this here and there. I have another nonfiction project uh, brewing uh, with Barbara Fisher. I have another one as well brewing with another co-author. Um, but uh, my project with Barbara, I said, Barbara, I'm sorry. I said I, I have to write this now, or it's not gonna it's not gonna happen. Um, yeah. And God bless her. Um, she was completely supportive and said, "Do it, and I'll I'll be your editor again." Yeah. Um, and so. Uh, she allowed me, she, she gave me permission <laughs> to put that project on hold for like nine months while I cranked this thing out and turned it around. Um, and now I'm back on the track, but I'm also refreshed to, to write about nonfiction, uh, aspects yeah. of these encounters as well. So that's my spiel. Uh, maybe I should, <laughs> maybe I should say what the dang book is called. Yeah. What um, is it called? Them old ways never died. Um, yeah. yeah. Them old ways never died. I wanted to, there are a lot of, you know, horror kind of books that are like, you know, the chasm or like, sure. you know, the, the tree. You know? <laughs> so yeah. I wanted to avoid that. So there's there's actually a line um, in the that's, that's pulled from a line in the book. And it sort of hints at the, the setting that sort of uh, Southern Appalachian setting. Um, them old ways yeah. never died. So that's that's. Uh, that's my spiel for the book. No, I, <laughs> Any I questions? The, yeah. yeah, the um, the title grabbed me immediately. I like because I, it's so 
like you said, there are so many of those, you know, the this, the that. Um, yeah. That that title really really got my attention immediately. Um, and I think you you touched on something really important, which is, I I think those stories that are where the conflict is, you know, man versus nature, man versus human nature, man versus self, things like that. I think those are the stories that really that people really resonate with more than hero versus villain. You know what I mean? And yeah. in a in a shallow sense, hero versus villain, right? The finding yeah. that way for the antagonist to embody something that we're all dealing with. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you're going to go into that sort of hero versus villain route, you kind of have to, you still have to, t- you still have to like do the Star Wars thing and do a Joseph Campbell thing, or you, sure. know, you kind of have to have a good skeleton <laughs> underneath yeah. what's going on, so that even it, so that it can be in that sort. So it kind of reminds me of that that sort of debate about allegory between C.S. Lewis and, and J.R.R. Tolkien. You know, sure. Lewis was very deliberate with like you know. I've got a Jesus lion. I've got yeah. a, a devil witch, and and, um, and Tolkien was like, you know, Tolkien's stance. And I'm sure there's probably a Tolkien fan out there who could correct me if I'm wrong. So apologies, but I, from what I understand, Tolkien's stance was more about like creating a tale that's so universal that it can be applied to numerous different situations as yeah. well. So I think that if you're going to tell like a story like Star Wars or like Lord of the Rings, it has to have that sort of um deeper scope you know yeah. um obviously lord of the rings is very much influenced by you know the, the first world war but also you know it, it it is applicable to issues of modernity and and the human condition and Absolutely. you know there's an argument to me maybe there's a christian allegory under there too so there's it's got a lot of different things that it could be and i'm definitely not capable of pulling that <laughs> off so <laughs> i tried to get a little bit more specific and um i couldn't think of anything that would be a more fitting um, story to tell than, than, than the story of, of recovery, having sort of been through that myself. Um, yeah. And uh, and how that sort of... I mean, I can maybe talk about the setting and, and whatnot a little bit to give some people some more background. Um, yeah, absolutely. So uh, there's a... there's a, The protagonist is Rick Coulter and um, marriage is falling apart and he has a drinking problem and... Uh, he ends up it's it's ends up being set during the during the pandemic um which is you know when a lot of my issues really came to a head sure. and crystallized um but you know there was so much to mine from personal experience not to say that rick is a one-to-one uh comparison to me like he's kind of me through a glass darkly um yeah because the way that the barber put it because that's the thing you share this with family and friends they're like oh so you're the this and like i don't i didn't know you thought about this person that way and i'm like no it's just they're just jumping off points it's not yeah. it's not literally <laughs> what's going on but um you know there was there was a there was a a, a real rich history of my experience there to, to mine from um you know in i've become more open about talking about this um in in rehab, I was just sort of known as I got known as the journal guy. Like I was just <laughs> journaling um, all the time. I think I filled up like two or three notebooks um, during my time, just writing all the time, writing my own thoughts. And um, you know, in a lot of ways, it was sort of that Campbellian, Jungian stuff that I think saved me in the end, putting those thoughts to paper. Um, but uh, so there was a lot of that to, to pull from for me, but also I kind of wanted to commemorate 
what I saw in the lives of some of my friends during 2020, um, which was, uh, you know, it's so funny, um, you know, COVID lingers on, but that specific period of lockdowns and whatnot, I feel like a lot of us, myself included, have started like putting it back in our heads. Like it feels dreamlike in a lot yeah. of ways to me. I don't know about you. Absolutely. Um, but like, and so I wanted to sort of keep a record of what that was because I didn't keep a diary during that particular time period. But, um, but you know, I want to sort of um, immortalize that. And it seemed like a good place to have a lot of spooky things happen to a protagonist. And obviously it, it didn't help those of us with substance abuse issues. Sure. <laughs> um, but also, um, you know, being a musician as, as Rick Coulter is in the book, um, there are a lot, there were a lot of things particular to the live entertainment business, um, that we went through during COVID. And I was lucky enough to be able to focus on my writing to a degree and have that sort of an outlet. But I have plenty of friends who just were, absolutely devastated who you know lived and breathed and uh slept music and yeah you know, just had no outlet to do anything you could practice and you could teach zoom lessons or whatever but um it really that that demographic really took a took a hit in terms of being able to express themselves um and so i wanted to sort of uh Im- immortalize that too um you know, being, being able to see it a little bit in my own life, but also having that sort of distance to, to appreciate what it was. Yeah. Um, so, uh, that's, that's sort of some of the, some of the, some of the main plot yeah. points that, that, that sort of lead our, lead us into where we're going. And over time, um, in his isolation, Rick gets worse and worse. And, uh, because he's completely alone in the story. I, I also have my family. Um, yeah, but he's completely alone and he gets worse and worse. And, uh, he ends up uh, work, just discovering that there's something else going on at this property in the North Georgia mountains uh, than he thought, and he ends up recruiting um, the help of uh, what's that? What's the way I put it? Uh, old friends and new acquaintances <laughs> um, <laughs> that sort of find their way to him. Um, and uh, <clears throat> the story itself it's not centered it's not centered entirely in in 2020, and actually. There are a series of flashbacks, so it ends up spanning 123 years, I believe. Um, actually, probably 125 now that I think of the epilogue. But, um, but, uh, and you know, it, it does incorporate some of you know. There, there's some decisions that were made in the past that come to fruition in the future in terms of uh, generational trauma, which sure. is another thing that I wanted <laughs> to work in there as well, um, and breaking that cycle, which is something that I just I it's one of the most prevalent things that I saw in my aftercare program, um, after rehab, uh, for the six months afterwards, I was attending a program. Um, just how, how many times this was this addiction that whatever someone had as, as an addiction, um, was really just an inherited thing. Um, yeah. You know, not, not only the, the susceptibility to substances, but just like, hurt people hurting people and hurting yeah. themselves and just passing that on down and that's you know that was sort of the probably for me the biggest lesson that I learned during that was like you just <clears throat> you just have to kind of say this ends right here like I don't want yeah. I don't want to pass this along it's got to end right here so 
Well, it light, seems like you, light subject matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say it seems like you found a way to make your antagonist, you know, a a, a shadow of the human condition. Yeah, yeah, it yeah it, it 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 does it does speak to that, um, and uh, you know the way it keeps on recurring and coming back, you can kind of start to see where there's similarities coming on. Um, but you know, it was also a, a fun way to work in some some ideas in some ways that I don't normally get to work in uh, in my nonfiction, and you know, to that to that extent, there's also if, if you're reading it as um, as someone who has read not even necessarily my stuff but just is is sort of plugged into the greater paranormal cryptozoology ufo milieu um there's plenty of little easter eggs here and there yeah um, i can that, only that, imagine that pop up. Yeah, yeah yeah um so obviously we discussed that after ecology of souls you you were initially planning on taking some time off do you now that you've finished this, do you kind of see it as like a working vacation almost from the more academically approached yeah, works I, before? I, I do. And it's, well, in some ways I do and in some ways I don't because, you know, I've had people ask me like, well, was this easier than your other stuff? And it's like, again, it's that mixed bag. It's yes and no, because right. on the one hand, I don't have a stack of books on either side of me that's about seven seven entries tall, and I'm having to flip through and look for citations and stuff like that, and, you know, yeah. delicately pecking out quotations and making sure I get everything <laughs> right. Um, but at the same time, you're just looking at this blinking cursor, and even though a lot of this does come naturally, like, sometimes you're like, where, what am I going to do? Um, yeah. But the goal that my, my wife put forth, which is kind of her her credo whenever I'm on a project, just she's like, just get it on the effing page. <laughs> you know, yeah. just just put something down there and go back and revisit it. And, you know, that's that's the that's the quote unquote easy part. Like you can massage this into something that you find that you're satisfied with, but for now just get it on the page. And that was yeah. sort of my thing that I would do. So I would sit down and try to pop out a um half a chapter to a chapter a day. Um, the problem was, as I got towards the end, more chapters started creeping in. I'm like, no, this needs to be its, its own chapter. So <laughs> it's not short, um, but I have been assured that it that it goes along at a, at a brisk clip. And uh, I, I had sort of a rule for myself, which was, um, with the exception of, I think, two chapters, <clears throat> two or three chapters, um, something supernatural, interesting, creepy had to happen in every chapter. And I, for the most part, yeah. with the exception of those two or three chapters that we're needed to show the passage of time or character development. There's something strange that happens in every chapter. Yeah. That's exciting. I, yeah. I, I, I hope that sort of pulls people along. You know, sometimes it, it's not like I end on like this RL Stein kind of <laughs> cliffhanger every time, but yeah. just to have a little something that's like, Oh, it's kind of like an interesting little blip on the radar. Yeah. 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 I, I think um, fiction intimidates people because of that blinking cursor, that blank page. Um, And I, I mean, I've always said like people think about that blank page, like it's the block of marble. Right. And that you have to, that you, and your job is to chisel a story out of it. Right. Mm -hmm. But to me and my personally, in my process, you don't even have the, like to me, the magic happens in the first round of edits. Yeah, I, I like, would I would agree with that. Yeah, I think the yeah. first draft is the block of marble, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You're, you're creating the block. You're you're creating yeah. the block of marble out of full cloth. That's a really healthy way to look at it. I, 
I, I'm also reminded of like you know I when I've listened to sculptors or wood carvers talk about um, their approach to, to sculpture, they're always like, you know, I I didn't make I didn't make this into I don't know an owl, right? It's like there was an owl in the wood that I had yeah. to sort of coax out of it. Like I'm not gonna. So to that extent, yep. you don't you don't pick a you don't pick a chunk of wood that doesn't look like it could have an owl in it. Yeah. Too. So yeah. so being a fiction writer yourself, I, I should ask you this because I have a definite answer. It probably will not surprise you, but are you a planner or I think they call it a pantser in terms of by the seat of your pants? Which are yeah. which are you? Um, I like to. Okay, so my approach varies slightly depending on the length of the work, right? If if I'm writing a short story, the first draft is stream of consciousness almost every time. With that format, um, I think it's probably a good approach, yeah. yeah. Um, so if it's going to be like, you know, 15 to, to 40 pages, it's pretty much stream of consciousness. Mm-hmm. But anything longer than that, I'm I'm an outline person. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, so what do you think I am? I think you're an outliner. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely an outline <laughs> person. It's I've yeah. got to have that thing running like a Swiss watch. Um, yeah. And it's you know it's it's not that I don't see some some value in in doing it sort of stream of consciousness, but I think that you're right that for like the really long form stuff, kind of gets you know you kind of get into George R. R. Martin territory. Yeah, you can get like, muddled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and you know. That was something that um, <clears throat> probably the most challenging thing for me in, in terms of the book was to was making sure that just the little bits and bobs here and there were were consistent throughout, like yeah. you know a, a character's age or something like sure. that. Yeah. Um, but I can't imagine how maddening something like that would be if there wasn't a, a plan going into it. Yeah. Um, so isn't yeah, it I, so fun though when you're you have your outline right and mm-hmm. you're you're working your way through it and you hit one of those flow states and you just blast through 10 15 outline points without even referencing it right it's, yeah yeah i do that's know what you mean. so yeah. satisfying and and what's even more interesting to me is when <clears throat> when you have an outline you have a, a say a chapter outline like that and you get into that flow state and then you end up going off track oh, yeah. and then coming back on track and not realizing that you did it. And you're like, Oh, I guess this is just a thing that's meant to be in there. Yes. Um, there, there was a moment, there was a moment. So I, I wanted to find a way to depict, um, okay, let me, let me preface this a little bit. Um, I've always been a big fan of this idea in, in media portrayals. The fancy name for it is actually metalepsis, but it's, it's breaking the fourth wall. Yeah, um, and you know, I, I, I always thought it was really interesting to see the innovative ways that people do that. Like one of the, one of my favorite fourth wall breaks is um, Arkham Asylum when you're playing as Batman and you encounter the Scarecrow. I don't know if you're familiar with yes. this moment, but yeah, yeah. So f- for those of you who are listening who don't know, um, like it, it starts to look like your game system is crashing. Like there's you know these mm-hmm. bars and squiggles on the on the screen and. <laughs> And what it does, it gives you the fear that the scarecrow yeah. has as a character, and you know it's um, there are different ways that you can do that that are convincing. Um, but you know, I kind of wanted to have the reader be like, "Oh, this 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 thing in the book is looking at me." So there are a couple of moments that I ended up doing that, but taking that approach, that sort of meta approach, 
um, in the book was something that occurred in one of these, you know, flashbacks to the 19th century that I really didn't think was going to be in there, but I would just put it in there as like a, as a moment, uh, it's an interesting moment, an interesting uncanny moment that, uh, that one of the people in those flashbacks noticed. And it was like, oh, this is, this is kind of a, a useful device. And it's just one of those things that ended up becoming, I think for me personally, um, mm-hmm. that might be a little bit cheesy, I guess, if you're reading it, but for me personally, it was, it was one of the things that I'm, I'm prouder of because it sort of shows, I thought, I think it, it's one of the few ways that you can sort of show <clears throat> how this other, because, you know, I, I don't really think fairies is an accurate sure. term for whatever we're interacting with, but like it was one of the few ways that I was able to show that this other has this sort of meta positioning of intelligence yeah. that is able to sort of view past and future and continuity and to sort of step outside of, of the reality of what's going on. So, but it was one of those moments that you, that, you know, we were just talking about where I knew how I wanted it to go. And then <clears throat> out of nowhere, like this idea comes to me and it ends up in there and it ends up getting fleshed out in a couple of more spots. And, and I think is kind of adds to the overall feeling. So, yeah, I love that. Yeah. And I love that, that, that sort of meta, that, that, that those moments made it into a book where it's it's fey right because (laughs) that that feels so appropriate right that like that it would sort of that the other would sort of reach through the book and tap the reader on the face you know what i mean it's 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 something that gets underappreciated in in the fairy stuff i mean you kind of get hints of it with the ufo thing um you know, an argument to be made, um, can be made rather, and your mileage may vary with Whitley Strieber, but an argument can be made that <clears throat> he sort of ended up doing that. He sort of ended up stepping into his into his world of fiction and it kind yes. of looked back at him. But you don't see that as much in the fairy stuff, and that was something that I, I really wanted to incorporate, especially considering the fact that, you know, the term fairy itself has a lot of different you ask ten different scholars and you're probably gonna get ten different answers, but one of the yes. ideas is that it is related to to fate. Yeah. Fay and fate and this idea that they do have some sort of meta position mastery over over timelines and, and people's destinies. So it's something that again, one of those things that you don't see at all in, in modern fairy fiction. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, they that say that the, if you're creating, you should create something that you want to exist in the world, but doesn't yet. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's got some, some adult labyrinth moments in it. And it's, I also wanted to see house siege elements in, in that sort of fairy context or like, you know, moments that like, you know, I know that it doesn't get talked about as a horror film, but I think one of the scariest things Steven Spielberg has ever filmed is, is that house scene in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Like, oh, yeah. It gives me the dadgum willies to this day. Yes. So, like, you know, so we're trying to incorporate a little bit more of a little bit more of that feel as well um, was something that I, I really wanted to do. Um, so there are a couple of, of modern bits of fairy fiction that I, that I really appreciate. Um, one is Terry Windling's The Woodwife. Um, one is oh, I can't remember the author, but it's uh, I believe it's called Some Kind of Fairy Tales. Another another good one that incorporates a lot of the lore faithfully. I've talked about it before, but but one of my favorite bits of, of fairy fiction is um, King of Morning, Queen of Day by Ian McDonald, and there is a generational aspect to that. And so that was that was another big point of inspiration for this as well. Um, so again, just like you know. 
There's a little bit of a pastiche to it, because I think with a lot of fiction, you end up sort of drawing on things that have influenced you. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it came together in something that's legible, at least. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um, I ordered my, I ordered a copy this morning and oh, I'm, awesome. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm even more so after this conversation because, <laughs> um, I mean, I just saw, you know, that you released a book and I'm like, well, I'm ordering that, but like now having a more under, you know, more understanding of the, the premise I'm very excited to get into it. Well, I really appreciate it. Um, I uh, what's what I'm what, what is it I'm fond of saying? I ha- I have no I have no expectations for this book, but I do have aspirations. You know, so sure. I, if if anybody if if you know I have ten people tell me that they enjoy it, then that's like <laughs> that's I've met my I've met my goal. In yeah, that that's regard. a win. Um, but it, you know, it has been sort of a challenge to, to talk about in situations like this. Yeah, I, w- I wanted to. I'm curious because we've talked a lot about how about sort of what it's been like going from from so much nonfiction to to working on a fiction piece. But way back when, when when you first started, when you first realized, like, oh, I'm a person who writes, right? I think like we all had that that moment, whether we identified it in the moment or not. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it that first bit you? Was it nonfiction or fiction? Were you writing a lot of fiction as like a middle schooler or high schooler? I mean, I was I was writing fiction as an elementary schooler, and I was okay. I mean, I was cheating a lot, right? Like, sure. I would be like, there is a dragon with a long oh 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 oh, oh, oh <laughs> tail, you know, long tail, yeah. <clears throat> or like you know these 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 um twenty <clears throat> twenty period ellipses and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was definitely always inspired by that. Cause as I've, as I've said on my other interviews that I've talked about, what sort of generated my interest in, in the topics that I normally write about is the fact that I was a monster kid, you know, I was always into yeah. like, you know, creature features and stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I was, <laughs> I was, a an, an elementary schooler who, you know, um, knew Stan Winston by name. Like it was, it wasn't yeah. movie stars. It wasn't, you know, <laughs> cartoons. It was folks like Stan Winston and, and Stan Winston and Bob Botton and stuff like that. So, um, <clears throat> so yeah, I, I, I think that is really what it was. And as I've said before too, um, my, my, the only person who really wanted me to, um, the only person really wanted me to go into to music was my band director. <laughs> um, because I, I had sort of an aptitude for that, and uh, I was I was competitive with that in a way that reinforced that I had a degree of, of talent in that regard. So I kind of put the, the writing on the back burner, and I don't really know how much I've talked about this, um, but I you know I had the music performance undergrad, and then I uh, went to grad school for performance. Had some <clears throat> some. Uh, some facial injuries that sort of prevented me from fulfilling that. So I ended up getting a music literature degree, which was kind of like a music history degree, sure, but, but less rigorous. So I don't really yeah. know what you do with that. And then I like, then I sort ended of up, like getting an art history degree after yeah. you break your fingers. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, but then the idea, so I, I got that master's and then I said, well, I'm going to get a master's in journalism as well. So, I, so the idea was to do like arts, arts journalism in some capacity. 
Yeah. Um, but I remember distinctly, <clears throat> I can't even recreate, recreate this moment in my mind. I remember distinctly like sitting down to write my first, cause there were some remedial courses because I didn't have background yeah. in journalism to write my first, uh, um, to write my first mock journalism piece. And I wrote some sort of sentence describing the scene and the journalism professor comes up and says, that's what we call purple prose. And you don't need that in journalism. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> Oh wait, is this what I just got into? <laughs> so right. I've always gravitated towards that. So, so to that extent, when you read this, you'll, you'll see this and anybody else who reads it, will see it too. Um, there is plenty of purple prose in the book. Um, good. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, I just I just wanted to languish in, in some of like I wanted to languish in descriptions of of the forest in the fall, you know, yeah. um, and to because I, I I don't get a chance to do that, yeah, in in my other work. Um, I mean, I live for flowery. Okay, well you'll like, you'll be yes. you'll be happy then you'll be happy in that regard. <laughs> but you know, it was so I, I I never get a chance to do it, so I wanted to indulge that. But also, like I, I have no idea even right now um, if I'm ever going to approach fiction again. Um, and, and the one idea for an, for a, another fiction project that I have, um, maybe I'll talk to you about it after sure. <clears throat> after we uh, we finish. But um, it would not be it would not get, afford me the chance to sort of indulge in this way. So it's like I don't get a chance to do this. I don't know if I'm ever going to do this again. Yes, I am going to describe what the leaves look like <laughs> in early autumn in North Georgia. Yeah. You know, I'm going to go yeah. ahead and indulge in that moment. Um, uh, so yeah, it just it, I, it it has sort of has the knock on effect of of letting the book breathe a little bit much which yeah. also has the knock-on effect of making it a little bit long but again, yeah I, I tried to try one of the other things that i really want to incorporate again I'm just i'm just steamrolling you <laughs> with all oh, these yeah. thoughts but yeah. um i haven't done too many interviews focused just on on this this book so it's part of where it's coming from i mean that's um, what we're here for okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i appreciate it interject anytime yeah um i i've always had a, a real deep love of cinema um I, I grew up in a household where my dad subscribed to the trades like we would get variety in, in our house which i didn't yeah. really realize was an odd thing until later but, um, <laughs> but that also put me um in the mindset of like learning about storytelling and like the the craft part of it um yeah and and pacing and things like that so one of the things that i really was committed to to sort of get people through a, a novel that ended up on the longer side um, was to hit those beats <clears throat> in a, at a similar pace that you would see in a film. So there is a clear first act. It's sort of a four-act structure in this, in this case. A clear first act, second act, third act. And they all do hit on, hit on those quarter, halfway, three-quarter points to sort of... So hopefully that helps with the pacing of, of things a bit, a bit more as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think anyone that knows you or knows your work is... would be confident that that the book is going to be enjoyable. Obviously. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I guess, I'm, I guess so. I guess so. I, I mean, I'm a fan, right? Like above, above all else. I'm, I'm a fan of your work. And well, I, I, I so appreciate that. I'm, I'm confident that I'll enjoy the book. <laughs> well, you'll, I'm, you'll have, you'll have to let me know. Um, oh, I will. Because I will. I'm, I mean, it's just, it's just, it is just like with, ecology to a lesser degree because I lived with this for a shorter span of time but sure you do this thing and it happens to me every time I write and I've talked to other people and I've, I'm mentoring some other people through their projects as well <clears throat> and invariably I feel this way and invariably they feel this way you reach that like three quarters point 
to the end where you're like, this is not good and no one wants to read this. Sure. And I don't know why I'm doing this. And it's yep. the, it's the biggest failure ever. Um, and, uh, it, 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 it happens every time when you just sort of, sort of have to push through it, but you do live with a vac in a vacuum with this thing for so yeah. long. It's like a, it's like a house guest that overstays their welcome. And you're like, yeah. I'm just tired of looking at this thing. I don't want to even think about it. I'm wanted out of my house. Just get away from me. So, I mean, um, yeah, I'll be honest. Was, yeah, helpful. <laughs> uh, I, um, I have a novel that's been sitting at that three quarter point since 2018. And it's, you know, projects have come, come and gone multiple times since then. Obviously I'm still writing other things and it's, it's, there's something about this story that I can't get over that hump with it. Right. And it's, it's sat and I go back to it every, every couple weeks sometime for in some periods, I'll go back every couple weeks and I have, you know, I have lists of possible directions to go. Mm-hmm. that I, you know, try to work through and it just sits. Well, in that regard, if I might be so presumptuous to offer some advice, I mean, these things also blossom when they're ready. You know, I yeah. kind of I kind of push these things through probably I kind of kick the baby bird out of the nest sometimes probably sooner than I should. <laughs> Um, but you know, I, I can speak to the fact that um, you know, with, with whenever I write music, it's definitely like that. Like I have Absolutely. files upon files of abandoned ideas um, mm-hmm. that might not make it ever, you know, into into a into a, a song. But but sometimes, and I, I sort of have come through a period because between handing it in to be edited and. You know the formatting. I've had some time where I don't want to start something new, but I don't have anything to work on with the novel. Um, I, I had the chance to sort of do some more composing, and I, and I ended up just now using some stuff that I've been sitting on since 2013, <clears throat> yeah, know, 2014. So I mean, it, these things do sometimes uh, come of age of their own accord. I think. Yeah, I recently used a guitar part to finish a song that that Ryan and I wrote when we were in a band in sophomore year of high school. It was a guitar part that we wrote. Yeah. A guitar part we wrote when we were 16 that I used just a couple weeks ago to finish a song. That's yeah, that's perfect. So yeah, you you understand totally what I'm talking about. I mean, I I do love that about, about art in general, but I think music's really good at that where you can kind of, cannibalize yourself yes. and and not feel guilty about it or something like yeah. well yeah we, we played this out a couple of times and it wasn't great but this one part is worth is worth saving for the rest yeah. Of yeah yeah and you know there's there isn't even any hesitance about citing yourself as a source you know what i mean it, with music you're like you want to tell the story about that riff you wrote when you were a teenager that didn't work until you were 35 you know yeah, what because, I mean? because it's a great story yeah I mean, yeah yeah, I've I've been in some projects before, and, and some other some other project members have been like, "Oh, this isn't going well. We're going to run into these difficulties." And I'm like, "Yeah, but that's that makes for a good you know you wouldn't want to watch a documentary on anything if it didn't have those moments. You know, yeah, that just makes for exactly. a good a good story or, or a good meta narrative to what yeah, you're who doing. wants to watch everything work perfectly? Yeah, I, well, that's. <laughs> 
And honestly, like, that's the thing that I I have learned. Um, I mean, that was definitely the lesson from, from my whole recovery situation. I mean, I, <clears throat> I, I'm i lucky and blessed in the sense that I it, it sort of stuck with me. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, progression and success is not a straight line. It has a lot of ups and downs. But, like, you know, the people who I know who are also in recovery who have had those moments wouldn't trade their rock bottom for anything. Yeah. You know? I mean, it, it's, it's the worst time of your life, but you wouldn't toss it out for the world. And, you know, that's, yeah. definitely, that's definitely what happened in my case. And Predictably enough slash, um, you know, stereotypically enough, um, you know, the number of synchronicities that popped off in that time period just after that were just insane. Um, some yeah. really, some really dramatic things happened to me. Um, and, uh, it was, it was the sort of thing like where I come to realize that's exactly what it was. It was, it was that sort of death rebirth motif. You know, I yep. gave up something, gave up something big that was a part of me that, um, you know, it was a down payment for whatever this other thing is, however you want to interpret it. Um, it was like, oh, okay, you've made a payment to us. You know, we're gonna we're gonna reward you by letting you see the source code of the universe. I mean, <laughs> yeah. The, the example I, have I told you about the the Aesop's Fables thing? I don't think so. Okay, so this is this is my favorite one. It's it's not the only one by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, because um the <laughs> my intake the the um the lady who did my intake who who I ended up seeing quite a bit after I I left rehab was um covered in fairy tattoos and like Brian Froud <laughs> fairy tattoos. Wow. Like it was like, oh, this is kind of weird. What's the odds of that? <laughs> but, um, the most profound synchronicity that I just cannot shake, um, is that I was, uh, I get concerned, um, with my boys. Um, because you know, my, my, my first priorities are to have them be, um, kind and intelligent <laughs> and yes. you know everything after that you know politics those are all like distant afterthoughts in terms you know just i want yeah. I, I just want them to be kind and intelligent right but i also in terms of them being intelligent i want them to be informed right yes um and i, I sometimes fret over the amount of software that i feel like i have to upload you know, so I'll have go through through these moments where I'm like, I need to teach them about the October Revolution and about you know the uh, pr- procession of the <laughs> of the of the stars and all just sure. this random stuff that I just sort of take for granted and insert, insert into my worldview for context and whatnot. And um, one day, for whatever reason, I got fixated on Aesop's Fables and. Because it's one of those things, like, I don't remember where I learned about it. Did I have a book on Aesop's Fables? Did I learn it through cultural osmosis? Was it a cartoon? Was it, you know, yeah. this or that or the other? So I'm like, okay, well, I don't know where to start. I've got, you know, the whole sum of human knowledge to draw from. I've got to start <laughs> somewhere. So Aesop's Fables. And so I had this running commentary in my head, literally from nine until I got out of my aftercare program at like three. And I was like, Aesop's Fables, Aesop's Fables, Aesop's Fables. I walk through the door at home and I say, I'm going to take the boys for a walk in their stroller. I throw them in the stroller. I go for a walk around the neighborhood the entire time I'm going Aesop's Fables, Aesop's Fables, Aesop's Fables. You get these boys back to the house, you put them, you know, get them out of the stroller, and you go online and you buy Aesop's Fables, Aesop's Fables. Get back to the house, my phone rings, and it's my mom, and she says, hey, we're at that, that, uh, 
bookstore at the beach, and I just got something for the boys that I think that they'll really love. <laughs> and it's a children's book of Aesop's fables. Oh my god. And it's just so... I don't know what that was. You know, yeah. I don't know if that was retro-causality or <clears throat> precognition or, syn- or a synchronicity, but that seems so specific and on the nose that yeah. it just... I, I can't explain that, you know. And the fact that she would have called me just before I was about to hop online and buy it. <laughs> it's yeah. just so wild. Yeah, so wild. Because it's not, it's not just the the synchronicity that you were thinking about Aesop's Fables and she came across the book and purchased it. It's that after she purchased it, she felt the need to call you and tell you about the fact that she'd purchased it. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Which I assume your mother isn't calling you to update you about every purchase she makes. I mean, no, half the time, you know, there's surprises that I don't find out about until we see them the next time. They're like, hey, I got this for the boys or whatever. But it was, yeah, it was... Yeah, I just... And that's the kind of thing that, you know, you can't quantify. It's the kind of thing that the reductionists will say, oh, it's just a coincidence and move on. But it's just... when, When something is... When something comes together and aligns that perfectly, it really does imply that there's something else going on. Yeah. <laughs> it really does. Um, also, so that was what yeah. three years ago. Uh, let's see. So my sobriety date was August twenty eighth, twenty twenty, which was three years before the release date of Them Old Ways Never Died. I thought that was yeah. Perfect. Congratulations, um, by the way. Thanks, three thanks years so is much. incredible. Thanks. Yeah. I, I really appreciate it. Um, so this would have probably been early 2021, maybe March-ish, or yeah. maybe it was, you know, February or something. I mean, because, you know, you can, in Georgia in February, you can take the, the children out in a stroller half the yeah. time because it's the <laughs> 60s or 70s. Um, Rub it in. I'm yeah, in well. Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this, hey, summers are, are miserable, so... Yeah. Um, oh, here but, too. Uh, oh, yeah, that's true. That's true too. Yeah, I was just in New England. And it was like, man, I thought it was going to be, you know, this autumnal yeah. wonderland, but it's not. <laughs> um, but uh, so, so yeah, it was it was around that time period, and uh, it's it is one of those things where it was like, and and what's interesting is it was like this burst of activity like that. Um, I have a little gnome that sits on a tree in my backyard that when I got home around that time period was sitting at the base of an entirely different tree where I'd actually put a silver coin that someone had gifted me as a, as an offering to, yeah, you know, whatever you want to call them. Sure. And it was sitting on top of that spot. I'm like, to ask my wife, I was like, did you move the gnome? <laughs> She's like, no. <laughs> so, so I guess someone went into our, our backyard and, uh, moved the gnome. Um, but it was just like this burst of... I, I kept a list. It was a burst of stuff like that. And then it sort of decrescendoed the farther away I got from that that down payment that I... And, yeah. Uh, you know, I do think that's there's something to that. Because you hear these stories about people who encounter the paranormal and their lives fall apart. And it becomes kind of a chicken-egg thing. Like, I think that you can... I think that the encounters with the paranormal can not as a certainty, but I think it can make your life fall apart or you can take your life apart (laughs) and you can also sort of invite it in as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was absolutely that, that death rebirth sort of motif. And it was, it was like for a time there, I was really plugged into the current of, of what was going on. And now I've, I'm back to being a, as dead as a doornail, psychically speaking. 
I mean, people talk all the time about the, you know, paranormal occurrences during liminal periods, right? And what period could be more liminal than something that you frequently refer to as a death and rebirth? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, that is the ultimate sort of well, liminal it's, it's, space to be in. And it's also that, that, that time period where. You know, in recovery, you're most likely to, to relapse, right? You know, that yes. sort of six-month-ish period. Um, you know, I was heading... What, what do they call it? Like the Bermuda Triangle of relapse, Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas, you know? So yeah. it's like it was, it's kind of in those treacherous waters as well. And if I want to sort of structure the narrative positively, I can say that these were kind of pushing me through that. They were... They were yeah. um, there were wind in my sails to get me through that. To, yeah, to signs from the, the universe. Yeah, 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 yeah. On the right path. Yeah. Yeah, I really think about that. So yeah, I like that. Um, See, my um, my father got sober about five years before he he passed away. Um, unfortunately, he'd been clean like three years when he got lung cancer. Um, oh, but. But he always, like, toward the end, talked about, like, how thankful he was that he was able to go spend the last few years he had clean and, you know, present. That's gratitude. That is, yeah. We were talking about gratitude earlier. That is that is gratitude. Yeah, I know absolutely. I, I can't even say if I would be able to hold the course. You know, right. In, in the yeah, because, I mean, because you were talking about... Um, most people who get sober wouldn't trade the rock bottom for anything. Right. right. And he w- was absolutely like that. Yeah. Like he was, he was very thankful that he got to the point that was bad enough to, you know, give him that last five years yeah. with everyone. Yeah. And, and to be able to experience <clears throat> that period of life, even with its adversity, with, with a clear head, and to, uh, you know, I hope this doesn't sound too colloquial, but like to, to make to make a good exit, you know, yes, um, is is something to be cherished. It really is. Um, yep, I think yeah. he. There was a there was an extra level of an extra level of urgency. I think for him going through going through the process right yeah, that like ma- that makes he, sense yeah like this has when, to work yeah 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 when and when someone is for instance when he was making amends right mm-hmm. there there's a yeah. an extra significance to that yeah, yeah there knowing is. that you know that the end is coming mm-hmm. you know yeah. so yeah I've, <sighs> yeah it's it's one of those things that I wouldn't wish on anyone, but I also feel like everyone should go through. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I don't want this to put people off from the book because it sounds like this book is, might be kind of preachy in that respect. And it's not, um, uh, but you know, I, but there is so much, if, if you can, if you can stay the course and there are a lot of reasons why people aren't able to, um, and my heart goes out to them because some of my friends just, uh, <laughs> some of my friends that I made in that short period of time, even since early 2021, it didn't make it. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, if, if you can 
make it through that and you have a good network of people and resources and you are honest with yourself it, it is it is it can be a great thing um yeah absolutely. and you know I, an idea that i've played with and i the the sort of irb hoops that you'd have to jump through to make it happen would be kind of a challenge but i think that there is a a wealth of scholarship um to be conducted about recovery in the paranormal to like go into those communities and be as man some of these some of these uh you know they're not my stories to share right now but yeah if that ever happens i would make it clear that i had permission to but some of the stories that i heard about like you know things like shadow people and again these synchronicities and stuff like they're just they'll they'll leave they leave your jaw on the floor oh so you know maybe at some point um you know i might venture back into that part of the community and with all the proper protocols and, and permissions and whatnot. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, I think, I think that'll be an interesting thing to look at because I think it's, it's as, as we've sort of been discussing, like there's, there's something there, you know? Yeah. Um, it's, it's not like saying, you know, what do tree frogs have to do with UFOs or something? Sure. Like there's, there, there's something fundamental there that I think really does put us in closer contact with, with whatever this is. Um, I, I get the feeling personally that it has to do with, you know, obviously this is speculative, but when you go through recovery, there's a certain, there's a certain level of really cracking yourself open. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, of course, you know, but like real deep, genuine, earnest introspection is is at the core of the process right yeah and there's i mean to say vulnerability is a ridiculous understatement right but yeah to be in a state where you're so open and vulnerable i something tells me that that i don't know is an attractor or just leaves you sort of open to receive yeah and you know there's 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 this also this aspect of like acknowledging they're all wrestling with the shadow self right like yeah so there's there's this aspect of acknowledging that and hopefully you know incorporating that in a healthy way but also just learning about yourself like yeah the number of people myself included who didn't realize why they were doing the things that they were doing (laughs) yeah um is is stark and i think that with with that increased awareness i mean how can you expect to in a lot of ways how can you expect to know anything outside of yourself if you don't know yourself you know yeah absolutely um, i think it's i think it's possible but i definitely think it's harder um so yeah i, I think that's 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 part of it too and it's tied into that <clears throat> that death rebirth motif as well um and you know you know i I would be remiss if I wouldn't say, you know, the, the, the sort of role that these counselors play, um, as, you know, psychopomps in the sense that, you know, Hermes was sort of adopted as a de facto mascot for psychology because there's yeah. a sense of leading you into the underworld and coming back with knowledge and coming back with, with change that Catabas is narrative. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that that's probably part of it too, is that you're fetching stuff from, deeper within yeah the depths yeah 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 in in addition to the fact that you know a lot of these people that who have these sort of um 
encounters with the paranormal um, were having them while they were using too, which you know the sure. the the reductionists will say it's just hallucinations, sure. and I kind of yeah. wonder if it's not bringing you closer to something. You know, not in every case, obviously, but like in some of these cases, it sounds like it was just. You know, you're so close. That's the other thing, man, is, is that you're in that community and in that time frame. It's liminal, and you're also close to death. You're so yes. close to death the entire time. Like, you know, I alluded to it, but, like, yeah, there were people who just wouldn't show up some days. And, yep. Uh, yeah. And just didn't show up again. They, they, yeah. they didn't show up again, or, or, or you know, they <laughs> they were okay, but, like, they, they barely made it not being okay. Yeah. You know, they had to... Yep get some narcan i think it's called and you know yeah come back to to. yeah so yeah it's 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 high stakes and it's um it it, you're definitely in proximity to that so i mean Um, people our age in the you know in the mid to late 30s we came of age in the prime of the opioid crisis in america yeah right and i think all of us have seen people fall to it well, I, I don't know a single person our age who doesn't who hasn't lost a friend or an acquaintance to it. Yeah, you know whether yeah. that is they you know started abusing them and and kind of went away or actually lost them to it. You know, yeah, whether, whether or not you're aware of it or not. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 yep. touched us all, and and that's the interesting thing too that when you go through a process like this is is you realize how much just addiction in general touches people's lives. And and yeah. once you, you know, if you feel comfortable enough to be open with it to friends and family, and that was sort of my attitude is like, I've just got to be, I've just got to talk about this. You know, um, you do find that people will share their own experiences. And, you know, I can think of seven people probably off the top of my head who have dealt with this in their immediate family. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I, I wonder if it's always been like that. I wonder if it's a symptom of modernity in some way. I or I mean, ob- obviously, obviously, the opioid de- epidemic was, you know, pushed on by bad actors, so to speak. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it's it's just something that you you do see everywhere, and it 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 breaks my heart because people are hurting, and we we are not equip we are not equipping them with the proper tools to deal with what's going. On. Yeah. Um. You know, I think that's it, becoming more and more clear. Yeah, but we're, yeah. we're just sitting on our hands about it, yeah. you know, yeah. because we can never come to a consensus about what needs to be done, and it's just it's so frustrating. I mean, we don't really come to consensuses about on anything. That's <laughs> true. That's true. Uh, my, my my go-to explanation when people talk to me about UFO disclosure is I always say, okay, okay, I want you to imagine this scenario. Imagine the person that you didn't vote for last election is now president, and they're telling you that aliens are real. Do you believe yeah. them? Like, no. <laughs> yeah. Like, no. The answer is, I don't care. You know, yeah. there's a very small sliver of the population that would say yes to that. Now. So, yeah. Uh, you know. Um, and most of them don't vote. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's, yeah. That's true. So. Um, oh. Um, you, you know, we were talking about how people in recovery, you know, tend to, not tend to, but. But the instances of people in recovery having experiences with the other there there I know someone who similarly had never had a paranormal experience in her entire life and then she started in her 30s this sort of intensive course of therapy to treat her PTSD and mm. in in the wake of those the, that treatment 
she started having experiences. Hmm. Which it feels very similar to me. It does. You sort of, you know, crack yourself open and you go through all that introspection and open yourself up and that and that's when it starts happening. Yeah, so that might very well be the case is that it's not necessarily it's not necessarily the act of addiction or recovery, but it's, it just is that introspection and that sort of looking inward. I mean, I, I think that there's something to say that, you know, my favorite thinker, one of my favorite thinkers on this stuff is, is young, you know, who was dealing yeah. with people. And, you know, you know, I, I always think back to that synchronicity of the golden scarab that he mentions in his synchronicity book or essay. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, so I, but I, I also think, you know, it, it encourages people to look at the world in that fashion, um, to not look at things as as literals or you know, um, to to apprehend the imaginal as having some degree of objective reality to the same extent that consensus reality does. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. It, it sort of break, it breaks you free of, of that that mode of thinking. That That's a hell of a turn of phrase you just dropped. Thanks. I, I, I had. I yeah. saw me squinting. I'm like, oh, God, I got. I got to make it through this. But it, yeah, yeah I, I, you I nailed it. That, yeah, I think it sort of it um, puts a, a fissure in that calcified way of thinking. Yeah. Um, I think it's it's sort of like a, you know, an as above, so below thing. The more you understand yourself, the more understanding you have for everything. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that, that's certainly what what a lot of these contact modalities seem to point to is this, this degree of, you know, I'm not entirely versed on the terminology, but you know, monism or dual aspect monism, I think is, is one, yeah. another term that, that comes out, but like, it's a refrain that you hear time and time again. And you know, it's, it, it, it is a truism that, that like we have, we, we have so much in common and the benefit of the individual needs to be incorporated into the benefit of the whole as well and all these things and you know um sometimes i wonder if it's <laughs> if the entire purpose behind paranormal experiences is just you know knocking us on the head with a stick and saying hey sure. wake up to this this one yeah you, just one thing we need you to realize just this one thing you know yeah yeah well i mean we could you know we could break into talking about the gaia hypothesis for an hour Oh, where's where's Vuk? Where's Vuk? Right. Yeah. The you know the whole idea that these are these are built-in mechanisms to you know to drive behaviors and actions in certain directions. Uh, yeah, and you know that 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 isn't incongruent with the, the some you know Valet's ideas too. Is yeah. That it, it 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 serves a, a purpose. You know. Yeah. Um. In that in that regard. Um. But yeah, it's. And you know where I am nowadays. I just I know that that little green scientist from another planet is supposed to be interesting, but I find this stuff so much more interesting. Yeah, and I, same. you know, I I guess maybe I'm jaded or cynical in that regard. But like I just I just find this a, a bit more profound to me. Yeah, yeah I, I'm right there with you. I've and I I think it's jaded and cynical to to have the opposite opinion. Honestly. I, I feel like it's just, I don't know, maybe not jade and cynical. I think it just feels so reductionist, you know, to go like, 
We know what it is. Like, do you? Oh do you yeah, really I mean, know yeah, what it is. The, the number, the, the amount of discourse that is just acting as if the extraterrestrial hypothesis is fate accompli is right. It's just a foregone it's just, conclusion. It's, just, it's so pervasive. Yeah, it's just so pervasive. Yeah. And you know, there are so many things this could be. And and I I have well, you know, I, I know we're getting really far afield here, but um, no, it's okay. I I have such a problem. Um viewing it that way when so many of these experiences do tend towards the spiritual however you want to define that you know metaphysical but also they just seem so tailor ex- tailor tailor made to to the experiencer to really resonate with them in particular yes um that you know it just it just again as as i've as i'm fond of saying like if it's aliens they're really weird aliens and they're <laughs> yeah. they've got some they got some real quirks that they <laughs> Like they need to address. Yes. Yeah. Why are you interested in me? Yeah. Yeah. I I personally think that the best thing that will happen when Twitter finally collapses is the collapse of UFO Twitter. (laughs) Yeah. Um. It's every now and then I poke my head in over there, and it's Mm. it's kind of the same talking points that it's been. I mean, I uh, I'm at the same time I'm also not. I've been relatively consistent in this. I, I don't think that it's entirely appropriate to sort of w- dismiss what happened this summer as being more of the same because it's not. There was sure there was a a shift of some sort. Um, good thing, bad thing, genuine thing, um, artificial thing, <laughs> engineered thing. Yeah. I don't know, um, but it it it, it does represent a, a change in the discussion. Um, do you think the significance of that is the just the recognition of it on such a yeah, on I mean, such yeah. a oh global it really was a global scale that it was it really yeah. got recognition. Being entered into the official record sure. is a, is is an important thing. I think maybe there was I think there was one other time involving Heineck, um yeah. if memory serves that a, sim- a similar thing happened, but it wasn't this sort of whistleblower capacity and all that. But yeah. You know, uh, there are and and, and to be in to add to that, like I, I do not detect deception on David Grush's part. I really don't. Yeah. Um, you know, I know some people who have been like, "Look at the eyes, man! Look at his eyes!" And it's like, no, come on, let's just let's <laughs> let's be let's be adults about this. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just afraid that he's being manipulated in some capacity. Um, sure. And, and even. And maybe not even being manipulated by people who are trying to manipulate him. Like maybe they're the people who are actually orchestrating this are so far up the food chain that they're, you know, they've distanced themselves from it, but they're able to sort of transmit this particular agenda down the chain and sure. into into his orbit and he was sort of the person that seemed the most likely to step forward and in, in all these different things. Um It's sort of that that old idea of conspiracy that like it's not it's not that it's like a group of people all deciding what the world's going to do it's just that they all have the same interests and they're all pursuing the same interests right you know and, and I mean? the, yeah and there is a little bit of that my my friend who also did the cover art for them old ways never died miguel romero um no. uh mentioned he, he 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 sort of compared what he he's toying with an idea that what we might be seeing with the current disclosure movement might be something that um, some of the AI engineers have discussed and are concerned about, which is this idea of model collapse. And the idea is that the AI 
especially the AI imagery, but also the, the text generators and whatnot, are beginning to draw upon other AI-produced stuff to produce their AI yeah. stuff. So you get this um, Ouroboros of, of self-reinforcing narrative and self-reinforcing content in that case. And that might be sort of what we're seeing with the disclosure movement. It's like, oh, this story sounds just like that story. Well, that's because that story is that story, and then it references this, and it just sort of becomes this yeah. cyclical circle thing. Um, and so I wonder about that, too. Um, I've found in researching in within this you know, subject, I've, I'm amazed at how many times I've heard I'll hear the same story in a dozen different from a dozen different sources and they all cite the same source and then you get back to that source and that source has no citation yeah or you know there's this um game of telephone that happens where details get added along uh-huh. the way and you go back to the original story and you're like this detail is not in the story at all i mean yeah I, I probably feed into that some if I'm being completely intellectually honest because Same I, here. I don't yeah. always find my way back to that original source. Yeah. So, um, But yeah, it's something that we have to be aware of especially with topics like this. Um, and then, you know, you never know as much as we fret about um, as much as we fret about these sort of uh, manipulative governmental conspiracies in the sure. UFO culture. We also have to be aware of people inserting their own ideological <laughs> um, yes. agendas into some of these stories as well without being yeah. aware. So, you know, it's it's something that we all play a role in. It's just, you know, yeah. there, keep your head on straight. Yeah. yeah. I think there's something to be said also, though, about the value of myth-making that happens over time, right? Through that game of telephone often. Well, right, right. And, um, and and that 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 boundary between what is real and what is fictional becomes real porous real quick. Yeah, absolutely. And and I know that like a lot of people who are obsessed with crash debris and landing sites probably, you know, it, it, that raises their hackles to hear something like that. But yeah, you know, I that's part of the reason that I've become so interested in fiction. Didn't really realize it, but you know, I contributed <laughs> an essay to Jack Hunter's Deep Weird collection that talks about cinematic techniques and high strangeness, and I released this collection of essays on fairy films and how fairy folklore finds its way into films and now i've released a, a novel so like obviously uh, without even knowing it i've, I've made this yeah. sort of <clears throat> i've sort of pivoted a little bit in terms of my interest to fiction because it's just <clears throat> the, the the when you're dealing with these topics it just it really isn't that clear and and what i find fascinating is that um one of my go-to sort of ufo historians that not a lot of people talk about not enough people talk about is martin kottmeyer um, and he is like sort of if you want to know the first instance of XYZ in a UFO case, he's the person to go to. And time and again, I've, I've, I've asked him or I've seen him writing about things like, well, the first instance of, let's say, vehicular interference, like appeared in, you know, Amazing Stories issue number sure. seven. It's, it's always in like some sort of fictional yeah. milieu or fictional medium, I guess. Um, yeah. And then the phenomenon sort of takes up that motif and it takes on a life of its own. And this yeah. is where the this is where the skeptics will say, oh, that proves that it's all bunk. And to me, it says, no, it, it could suggest that there's some sort of dialogue between fiction and reality going on here. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I think 
in the study of history, there are a few things more valuable than finding that chain of telephone. Mm-hmm. And I think the reflection on culture and society that you get from examining those alterations to a story over time, I think is is very valuable. And it's something people have always done with stories, right? They always right. change over time. So whether you're talking about like how Caesar was regarded at the beginning of his reign and versus the end of his reign, you know, the way people wrote stories about him shifted dramatically. And that tells you about society's view of him, right? Right. It's just the same as people telling the Betty and Barney Hill story in the seventies and the way they tell it now. Right. Yeah. There's, there's a shift that happens, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah, there is. And, and it's, it's, I mean, it's kind of a, a, a mirror of, this is part of the reason that I find this sort of porous boundary between fiction and reality so interesting is because it, it, it's also mirrored in the nature of the phenomenon itself, right? Because there does seem to be this false distinction between physical and non-physical that we just have completely wrong. You know, ghosts are the most immediate challenge to that because they slam doors and leave footprints. And, sure. You know, and but you know, you could say the same thing about Bigfoot or the UFO. You know, it does the same yep. thing. It seems to be physical up until a point, and then it it's not. <laughs> you know? Yeah. What is and, the and, term that I, I've because I've brought it up so many times since our last interview? The idea that these Class B Bigfoot sightings or experiences are essentially poltergeists in the forest. Yeah, I I coined Wildnisgeist. There Um, it is. There was somebody who came along with a German fluency who suggested something a little bit different. Um, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but I'm like, well, I was just, you know, doing my best with what, with what I yeah. had, but yeah, the, the Vildness Geist idea, which is like, and again, it's, it's that fuzzy boundary, pardon the pun, between something that looks like a ghost and something that looks like a Bigfoot. You know, sure. It's, it's too, it's too present to be nothing, but it's not present enough to be a, to be a giant relic hominid. Yeah. So it kind of occupies that middle space. Yeah. I mean, you know, a floating light in the sky is a UFO, but a floating light in an abandoned right. house is a ghost. Right? So, so it's, context dependent. It's completely. Sure. It's com- I wouldn't say completely dependent, but it's so dependent on context. Um, yeah, and if it appears yeah. above your grandmother at her funeral, it's her soul. And sure. If it appears a, above a stone circle in the Hebrides, it's a, it's a fairy. You know? it's yes. Just, yeah. yeah. Well, Josh, unfortunately, I can't keep you all night long. <laughs> well, now. this has been you've you've kept me awake. I'm I'm so proud yeah. of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we started what we started beyond your your normal starting time, right? And we've been going for a while, so um I'll let you go. I'll let well, you go. I, I um, really appreciate it. This is a blast. I mean, yeah, absolutely. These are the kind of conversations that I hope to get into when I talk about these topics, you know? So, yeah. Um, it's a good shot in the love, arm. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to have you on more often. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, if I can make it work, you know, I've, I've got to, yeah. I've got to pace myself as I, as I told you yeah. beforehand, we, uh, I, I've been really busy doing podcasts lately, but I would, if I will make time for this. Absolutely. I appreciate that so much. Um, before we go, mm-hmm. tell the people where to find you, where to follow you, and anything cool you have coming up that you'd like them to check out. 
Uh, you can find me at joshuacutchin.com. That's J-O-S-H-U-A-C-U-T-C-H-I-N.com. No S, very important. <laughs> um, Them Old Ways Never Died is my new novel. Um, you can get it at Amazon <clears throat> as an ebook or as a physical copy. You can also contact me and I send uh, I can send you a signed copy with no upcharge, just the same price that you get it on Amazon, but uh, you know, signed by me. So that's you can just reach out to me on my website if you're interested in that. Excellent. Um, links for all that will be in the show description. So if you want to follow Josh and everything he's doing, which obviously you should, um, just go into the into the show notes and it'll all be there. Thank you so much for doing this. Hey, it was a blast, man. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you, thank you, thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week, and it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. We want to get to know each and every one of you, so please come and check us out on all the socials at campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook, at campfire.totsau on Twitter, and you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And a special thanks to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram for his contributions to the beautiful music that you hear every week under the debrief. You can find more of his tunes at ReverbNation.com slash Reverent. It's fantastic, fantastic stuff. Go give that a listen. And that's it. Until next time, I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers, stay weird and trust in the unknown. unknown.